0: Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. We're walking through the story of what we believe because we live... uh, just to, to, so that we can bring these conversations into everyday life, bring them to our lunch table, uh, even in our families, to, to coworkers, and understand, be able to put uh, clear handles on the story of the Bible, the story of our faith, and see how our stories uh, interact with that. Um. Well, we have started, uh, in the summertime, summer allows us, I'm going to set a couple things up while I'm talking here, so bear with me. Uh, Summer allows the Hudsons a little bit of a break from the regular routine. Uh, For example, in the summertime, we stay up later, sometimes uh, we hit movies even during the week, and a week or so ago, we found a literary classic, and we went to the movies and found... A literary and cinematic classic, the Hudsons went to the movies and saw Ant-Man and the Wasp. Anyone else admit to seeing that one? A couple, okay. Um, and what's, uh, when we decide to go to the movies, is sometimes there is tension uh, in our family about when to arrive to that, the, the big theater in DeKalb. I am a proponent for arriving about 15 minutes after the post and start time because I'm fundamentally opposed to paying a lot of money for tickets just to be forced through commercials and previews that I don't want to watch my family likes the commercials and the previews and so we always have a little bit of back and forth and, and usually they win uh, and we go, but ac- occasionally they will throw me a bone and we'll get there 15-20 minutes late uh, and usually in time for the start of the movie but sometimes, every once in a while, I time it wrong and the movie's begun and we get there a couple minutes late. You're trying to figure out, okay, what did we miss? And, 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 and it's distracting for everyone. Ant-Man and the Wasp is one of those movies that if you miss the first two minutes, you miss the whole crux of the thing. I mean, they set some things up in there that, uh, that if you don't see those, when you, if you just come into the movie midway, all you see is carnage. You see San Francisco being demolished, and you're like, what's going on? And it would not make any sense if you didn't see the first couple minutes of the movie. Uh, If you saw the first couple minutes, it all makes sense, and you see where this is going. And in fact, in the first couple minutes, you say, I know where this is going. I'm I'm with it. I can put up with the carnage because I know what's coming. Uh, Life in 2018 is similar to walking into a movie halfway. Halfway. If we just walk in and we look around without any context and we look over in the Middle East, they're, they're thinking maybe they should drop some bombs and maybe there's war. Uh, in Missouri, we see this big storm come up and capsize a boat and kill a family. Even locally here on Route 23, a couple of big accidents in the last couple of weeks, really devastating some lives. And, and you can just, if you just stop at a snapshot of the newspaper, you say, what kind of carnage is happening here? This is a rough place beyond the headlines i even think of my own personal life and i can think through uh this is me here this is my stick figure man and i've got three primary relationships in my life i've got a relationship with god a relationship with other people and a relationship with the world and each one of these is hard sometimes i want to be a better christian i want to pray more i want to read my bible but sometimes that's a battle and rather than read my bible i find myself struggling And sometimes in my relationships with others, I want them to go well, but sometimes there's just arguing and fighting, and and we find ourselves in in adversarial positions. And then even sometimes with our universe, our world, we find ourselves at battle. I had a friend cancel dinner uh, a week or so ago because his, uh, his Parkinson's and his leukemia are just too great. He couldn't leave the house, and we're fighting even our world, our environment, things that are outside of our control. And it's easy just stepping into it in the middle to say, what kind of carnage is this? What's going on? Why is this so hard? And some might even ask, what kind of God would do this? Like seeing the beginning of the movie, we want to take time in our story, in, in our, even in our doctrinal statement, we thought it was important to say, let's rewind it and let's go back to the beginning and see those first few minutes that help us make sense of everything else, see what's going on today, where we're going, why we're going this way. Uh, and so we are, we are going to be talking about today the fall, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Jeff Lewis last week preached on creation, Genesis 1 and 2. Today we keep going in Genesis chapter 3, and we talk about the fall. And, and talking about the fall is especially difficult in some level because we talk about sin, and there's some people even here that say, I don't, that's, that's an awkward subject. I don't want to talk about my sin. Talk about yours, that's okay, but let's not talk about mine. Uh, it's difficult. Wouldn't it be easier just to blame our shortcomings on just calling them bad habits or mental illness or there's other things? Uh, but, the, but Scripture calls it sin. It says the fall is a result uh, of, of sin entering the world. And as uh, the Bible, as our authority and as God speaking his word, we will go into talking about what sin is. And that's where we are in our doctrinal statement uh, in this. And then as we move, move, uh, move through the weeks, we'll look past the sin to see we have God the creator, the fall. And then the rest of the story is God putting those pieces back together until we get to a time where the world is perfect and restored and we have a new heaven, a new earth. But today we talk about the messiness the difficulty, sometimes even the carnage that's in our lives, in the world around us. Um, And we'll do that in Genesis chapter 3. Let me pray as we uh, open there. Our Father, we look at your word today and we ask that you be our teacher. Teach us about you. Teach us the gospel. Draw our hearts to you. Help us see things that would help us view your holiness and worship you. Father, teach us clearly from your word, help me not be a distraction, help me get out of the way that you would be the one touching hearts today, in Christ's name, amen. Well, last week, Genesis 1 and 2, God, the creator of the universe, puts Adam and Eve in the garden today, Genesis chapter 3. If you're there, if you have a Bible in the back, I think it's on page 2 or 3, easy to find at the very beginning. Uh, Read with me if you would. There's tension in the story immediately, isn't it? We have Satan embodying, a, Satan embodying a serpent and begins to tempt Eve and telling Eve half-truths. Hey, the fruit's not so bad. It looks pretty good, doesn't it? It's, it's attractive. If you eat it, you'll know the difference between good and evil. True, true statement. If, if you eat it, uh, you'll be like God in that you can know the difference between good and evil. And, dis- and, and despite God's instruction and clear instruction, uh, Eve and Adam, in, in complete arrogance, said, I, this, They join the story that we participate in. They say, for thou- for the, As humanity, for thousands of years, we have said, I know God has said this, but I'm going to do my thing anyway. And Eve grabs the fruit, she eats, Adam eats, and. In complete arrogance, just disregard and dismiss what God says, and in an instant, humanity is changed. Their eyes are open, the text says. They realize they're naked, innocence and trust is lost, replaced by shame, fear, and guilt to the extent that fig leaves can't hide it. The shame is too great than any kind of uh, fig leaf they could find. And in the middle of the shame and guilt and fear of being caught, all of a sudden, at the wall of the garden door, so, so to speak, is God appears. Keep reading with me in, in verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord, God, the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What a story. I remember reading this as a kid and I, I understood, I think as a kid especially, the trying to hide your sin, right? I remember in third or fourth grade, we had this routine. Our teacher would routinely go down to the, to the office and she'd say, stay in your seats. I'll be only gone a few minutes. And she would leave. We would sit there like angels and as soon as she'd walk out the door, we would play dodgeball in the room. We'd get a dodgeball, we'd play, and we had one student whose job was to look around the corner. Mrs. Harris is coming back. We quickly get back to our seats, and we would do everything we could to hide our sins. Or how about when your parents said no ice cream and they go out to the store and you come back and you eat the ice cream and all of a sudden you hear the car driving up. We know what it's like to quick, quickly scamper, try to hide the evidence and say, I'm not so bad, right? I did everything you asked. So I understand Adam and Eve saying, I'm hiding. It's, we're going we're to get away with this, right? Bury the core somewhere. Find a, find a place and hide it. Uh, but as an adult, I read the story. And one of the, the, the things that has hit me over the years is the phrase at the beginning of verse 8 and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And I read that and I recognize that this is a sound they must have known. They knew those are God's footsteps because he's done this before. And I imagine that, that, that God, sounds like, would take afternoon strolls with Adam and Eve in the garden. In this perfect relationship... They were able to walk with God in the garden. God showed up in the garden, and that was not a problem. That was normal. And they could enjoy walking with God. Imagine what it would be like to walk with God in the garden and have the God who created it all explain the palm tree or explain the creativity of the giraffe. Or how about the moose is pretty interesting, isn't it? And just be able to walk through the garden talk about the animals and talk about the, 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 all the, the different trees and species and the flowers and herbs and understanding how herbs work and what they can be used for. And all that's shattered in a moment. One of my most precious memories as a dad with my oldest son, uh, Caleb, was when he was 18 months to 2 years old, we were living in Cortland at the time, and I would enjoy, when I would come home from work to decompress, I would take Caleb, and we would sometimes go, for, I'd go for a walk just around the block. And it was a good break for Amber, a nice break for me, and I would put him up on my shoulders, and we'd start walking. We'd just walk the neighborhood. And this one particular day, it was dark. Uh, it was, uh, there was no moon. The stars were really bright. And we're walking along. Dad, you'll know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, I feel him lean back. And I'm holding extra tight. I'm like, what is he doing up there? And he's leaning back, I'm like something's going on. And then all of a sudden, I thought, I think I know what's going on. And then I feel his weight shift again. I realize he's pointing to the sky. And in his 18 month, two year old voice, he goes, Wow. And I realize, How cool! My son just discovered stars. This was so cool to just the joy of that moment just to to say he's exploring and discovering the universe and I get to be a part of this. How cool is that? How neat in the garden would it have been for Adam and Eve to walk, so to speak, hand in hand with God in perfect harmony while God kind of points out the things. How neat would that have been? And all that for a moment is just shattered, Gone. Because God said, don't do this. And they said, no, we're going to choose to do this anyway. And sin enters the world. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And Adam, and, and he said, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, "The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit to eat, uh, gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate." The Lord God said to the woman, "What is that? What is it that you have done?" The woman said, "The serpent deceived me and I ate." A devastating what was once intimacy, this perfect relationship between humanity and God in a moment just becomes devastated. Becomes completely shattered. At the fall. When sin enters the world, that perfect harmony, unable anymore to walk with God in the garden, because God is holy, as Jim talked about a few weeks ago. He is perfect in holiness, and even the smallest sin drives us from His presence. They're like two opposite ends of a magnet. You cannot put holiness and sin together. You try and they just fight, 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 and they can't go. And holiness and sin can't go together. And that perfect relationship that humanity had with God is just broken. Let's keep reading in verse 14. There's plenty here, but we're going to focus just on areas of humanity in the fall. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above the livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Just put a mental asterisk there. There's a messianic hope. We're going to come back to that. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. In verse 16, we're going to see this curse. This is a curse passage. God's explaining the difference. Uh, that is going to be in the world now and in the verse i see some of you looking in your bibles right now it, there's it, it says your desire shall be contrary to your husband or maybe if you have a bible from the back it says your 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 desire will be for your husband we'll talk about that in just a second but both of these points pain and childbirth and the relationship with the husband the bottom line the, the god is is in this curse passage this relationship is also going to be broken Because of sin, we are now going to have battle and tension with each other, with husband and wife, and with humanity, with each other. The first part of the verse, he says in verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you will bring forth children. If you've been in a delivery room, and I've been in a delivery room with each of my kids, the pain of childbirth, even with modern medicine and modern drugs, is still amazing. And you have the mom saying, I'm going to try to give this child life, and the child has a mind of their own, even from the very beginning. And the pain that happens there, and the physical pain, I remember watching my wife in agony, and each of of our births, and thinking to myself, truth, thinking to myself, I will, we will never have more children. If this is what it is, and then I would go as far as to say to myself, if this is the end result, I will never even touch my wife again. This pain is just not, its just it, I can't bear watching my wife suffer through this. And the pain passes, but yet even through the rest of our child, children's lives, we have a plan. We're going to instill life. But these little buggers have minds of their own, don't they? And, and, and even instilling life there's, there is pain, and it never goes smoothly. And there's pain in childbirth, and there's chain, pain in childbearing, and even in that most intimate relationship of mother and baby, there's even conflict at the very beginning. There's more conflict in the verse, I'm talking about this, this horizontal relationship. It says, Your desire shall be contrary to, or your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. The bottom line of this verse is that this is a part of the curse. There's now going to be tension in this relationship. And some translations say your desire will be for your husband. Some translations say your desire will be contrary to your husband. We'll, let's talk about both of them for a second. But the end result, wherever we land, is there's going to be tension here. This isn't going to be pretty. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be fight, fights because fundamentally sin has entered and corrupted the relationship. So that's where we're going to end up. Now we can take the side trail and take and, and explore some interesting rabbit trails. If you have an ESV from the back, from before 2016, it says, your desire shall be for your husband. If you have an ESV from 2017 and later, or if you're reading online, it says your desire shall be contrary to your husband. And the reason is, is the Hebrew word for is... Confusing. It's ambiguous. What do we do with the word for? And it is admittedly confusing in, even in English. For example, let me use some English analogies, and you'll begin to understand how the Hebrew is a little bit fuzzy. Could it be that, my, that your desire is going to be for your husband in, in the sense that I am all for him, I am all his, and my eyes are going to be all for you. And God's saying, rather than find your fulfillment in me, you're going to be looking for it in your husband. Your eyes are going to be over here. And some commentators say one of the struggles we see is, is uh, in, in the world history is when women have looked to find their identity in their man as opposed to finding their identity in Christ. And that's something that's even true of men. We can even do that as well. We look for our identity in our spouse rather than finding our identity there. So in one sense, the word for could be I'm all for him as opposed to all for God, which is actually, sounds romantic, but is a problem, ultimately. Or could it be that my desire is going to be for my husband and that I'm gunning for him? I've got my eyes on him. He may have been uh, created first, but I'm watching. I'm gunning for him. Or could it be that uh, I am going to be fighting for him in the sense that you draw maybe a boxing wild card. You have Tyson for Holyfield, and let's go at it. And that, that word for is complicated even in English. In Hebrew, it's more complicated. And, and the ESV translators have decided to say the best place to do this is to talk about the contrariness, that there's going to be tension here. Man's going to try to do this, woman's going to try to do this, and there's going to be just friction. that's clear to me, I like that other translations if you have them the New Living says your desire and you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you the Net Bible says you will want to control your husband but he will dominate you however you want to define the word for you see this this is a problem this is not going to end in marital bliss all the time, right? there's tension here Uh, There's going to be conflict, and that conflict is in our most intimate relationships, mom and child, husband and wife, and then extends through the world. Even in the next chapter in Genesis 4, remember the story of Cain and Abel? That's on the next page. How bad does this conflict go where Cain says, Hey, Abel, come here, i want—I got this rock I want to show you in the field, right? Let's keep reading. God turns to Adam and gives a final devastating blow in verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust You shall return. Adam, the garden used to work perfectly. You could cultivate and it would grow, and now it's going to be hard work. There's going to be thorns and thistles, and by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat, and you're going to work at it all the days of your life until you die and become part of the ground you're fighting. The ground will eventually win and eat you. That's what happened at the fall. But let's also talk about, well, not always, but how does that affect you and me? Because if you are like me, you read this and you realize, ah, that sounds familiar, actually. This is not just Adam and Eve, but this is my reality, too. And I look at my relationship with God and I say, you know what? I would like to read my Bible more. I'd like to pray more. I wish I could commune better. But yet sometimes I choose my sin instead of choosing to pray. And sometimes I say, you know what, I know I shouldn't do this. I know God said you said be holy, but i got to hold on to this anger just a little bit longer. It's just so good. I know you, God said it's a nice thought to say be holy, but this lustful thought is just too interesting. Do you mind if I just stay here for a few minutes? Or I know you said be holy, but I kind of like to be selfish at this moment. And I struggle with that to say, I want that, I want that perfect relationship too, but it's a fight. I get it, I see the brokenness there. Or how about with my coworkers and my neighbors and my family, where what should be an easy transaction is just sometimes war. A coworker that just constantly gets under your skin just for no other reason except to get under your skin. Or, or I had a client this week that said, yeah, I know we agreed that you would do this work and we would pay you guys, but we're not going to pay you. Well, now we're, now we're in a war. Now it's tough. And we find ourselves, even over simple things like how far my neighbor mowed their lawn or where we did this or does this tree overhang, we're constantly at an issue. I know when I look at my world, my relationship with my world, technology doesn't work like I want it to work. It fails. My body fails. Things that are supposed to be right aren't right. I, have, I go to my doctor because it's not always working the way it's supposed to be working. And we find ourselves, even as we see that in our own lives, in our friends' lives, as, as the body begins to, to, to decay and go around us, we're at war even. This is not just limited to Adam and Eve. I look at this and I'm in that garden and the result of this sin is affecting me. We see this in Romans five twelve. I'll read it five and, and and verse eighteen. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, consequently, one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. In Genesis 3, and we as Americans are going to say, hold on, that's not fair. I didn't sign up for that. Okay, But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and as a result, their relationships were broken. Broken with God, broken with each other, broken with the universe. And Adam is our covenant representative, which means where he goes, we go. And when he failed, we failed. And as... Americans, we say, well, wait, that's not fair. That's not right. But before you go there, it has a flip side because there was another man, Jesus, who said, you know what, I'll stand for them. And in that same covenant relationship, because God sees holiness when he sees Jesus, he sees us as holy when we follow him. But back in the garden, that affects all of us. And we look at the brokenness in our world, we look at the conflict in our relationships, conflict in our companies, conflict in our families, our neighbors, and it's a result of this. We see conflict in our relationship with God when we say, God, I know you said this, but I really want to do this. Or I know that I should try more and I should pray more, and that conflict is real. 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. We're going to get to that more in future weeks. We talk about each one of these, and it's easy sometimes as church-going people to say, well, my relationship with God isn't so bad. I'm not, I am not that bad person out there. Um, How bad is that relationship? And and we need to remind ourselves that even the smallest sin, the smallest disrespect, the smallest disobedience is enough because holiness and sin can't go together. They drive us naturally from God. A number of years ago, I got a, a traffic, a speeding ticket in Kane County, and I went into the courthouse to pay my fine. And I walked to the front desk, and as I was walking to the front desk, I, I, I noticed that there was actually a few people there in handcuffs, being escorted in or out. And I was, I, I, my first reaction, truth, was, there's some bad people here. And I want to get in and get out, but I don't want to be around all these bad people, right? I go to the front desk. I, sh- I, I have my ticket. I said, I'm here to pay a traffic ticket. Where do I go? And she says, go down the hall and make a left. So I dutifully took my ticket, I went down the hall, made a left, and there above the door was a sign that read criminal driving violations. And I looked at it and thought, she sent me to the wrong place. I am here just to pay a small traffic ticket, a speeding ticket. I am not a criminal. So she's pointing me to the wrong place, and I turned around, I was about to go back, and it hit me. I've broken the law. I'm a criminal. It's black. I have done this. I have failed, and I am a sinner. And sometimes even those little things remind us that, yeah, my sin may not, I may not be the serial killer, but in God's eyes, I can't, there's, the relationship is broken. My sin, because of Adam, and then I keep my own on, my depravity is total. I can't fix this. There's nothing I can do that would say, uh, God, I've got this, this three-step plan. It's going to be better because I can't even commit those things to my wife, let alone God, to sit back and say, no, I'm going to get this figured out. We are fundamentally unable. We've seen this relationship with God gets broken. We've seen our relationships with each other get broken. Our relationship with the world is obvious. But buried in Genesis 3.15, we have this hope. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That idea, this first messianic promise, and what the rest of the story outlined in Scripture and in our doctrinal statement is, there's creation, there's fall, but there's hope. And we are all guilty as a result of Adam and because of our own sin, but the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end in the carnage. We get to a spot where we have a new heaven and new earth and the rest of the Bible is God putting the story back together to show how these relationships can be restored and one day it'll be perfect again. Revelation twenty-one-one says... Uh, uh, twenty one one says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more mourning and pain, no crying, for former things have passed away. While we see the carnage now and we experience the fall now, we have this great hope that one day, because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, as we put our faith in him, for those who follow him, are going to be welcomed into this new covenant, this new life, a new city, where we can walk hand in hand again with God. In this document, which are just our words, trying to summarize what we believe, what we believe as a church, this draft document, is the paragraph of the fall, You can follow along. I think it's in your bulletin. It's on here on page 14. The fall. Though made without fault or flaw, the world in which we live was corrupted and the image in which we were made was distorted when our foreparents, Adam and Eve, willfully disobeyed God. Thus they earned for themselves and for all their offspring after them the punishment of physical, spiritual, and eternal death. All humanity since has been born corrupt in nature and likewise continue to live in conflict with their creator. Therefore, we look to God as the only hope of being rescued from death, reconciled to him, and renewed in his image. The fall is a big deal, but with the fall comes hope that the story doesn't end there. We don't get two minutes in the movie, see the conflict, and then the roll credits. It's all over. But to sit back and say, yeah, that's rough. That's a hard beginning. But there's hope in the end. Three reminders as we wrap up. The first is to just to remind ourselves of our own sinfulness compared and contrasted with God's holiness. I don't like to preach on sin in the sense of, therefore, you should all go home and beat yourselves up and repent and build a list of your sins and feel terrible about yourselves. But it is healthy and helpful sometimes to realize, to own our sins, to sit back and say, yeah, I really messed this up. I really failed. Lord, I know you said this, but I did this instead. Because when I do that, the goal isn't so that I go home and feel bad. The goal is when I realize, then I can say, thank you for Jesus who saves me from myself. And so it's good to embrace our sin for a moment. If I I can use that word, acknowledge our sin, own our sin. Really look it in the eye and say, yep, that's me. Because when I do that, I can say, but thankfully that's not the end of the story. Jesus has covered my sin because of his death on the cross and saved me. So reminder one is to really own our sin, so to speak. A second reminder is I look at the fall and how that has affected us is to remember that we are all people living in a broken world. And we're all broken people living in that broken world. Which means there's going to be times when my shortcomings with God get in the way and I might shoot myself in the foot and I'm going to say the wrong things sometimes and there's going to be times I'm going to look you in the eye and say horrible, mean, insensitive things because my sin's going to get the best of me. And in those moments I need you to look me in the eye and realize he's a sinner too. I need to cut some grace here because the next day you're going to need that. Because there's going to be times when you're going to say some things to me that are insensitive and cruel and mean and we both have to look at each other and say, "Yep, we both have the dis- we're in the same hospital, the same disease, we're struggling through this. Your issues aren't my issues, but my issues aren't yours and we're both in this together." And we need the grace to look at each other and say, "Yep, I'm a sinner. I get it, all me." And you're a sinner, and I can't hold that against you. But as a brother in Christ and sister in Christ, I'm going to link arms with you, and together, let's try to follow Jesus. It's so easy, isn't it, to, to, to pull out our cannons and hide behind the cannons of our self righteousness and say, "I can't believe the Hudsons went to Ant Man. Oh, what a sin that was! They went to the movies." or I can't believe that the Hudson's did school this way or raised their kids this way, or I can't believe that they they make this choice, or I can't believe so-and-so uses that kind of language, or I can't believe so-and-so drinks that much, I can't believe so-and-so struggles with their sexuality, rather than sit back and say, I've got my issues. You've got your issues. We're both in the hospital together, struggling deeply with the effects of the fall to say, God, for each of us, it's not perfect yet. And our relations with each other are not perfect yet. But we're going to try together and cut each other some slack, give each other the grace to say, yeah, one day it's going to be better. It's easier just to point the fingers and say, yep, he's got issues I don't have, but I've got issues that he doesn't have. Every one of us is broken. I've really enjoyed to be direct with you some very frank conversations that I've had with many of you in the church in the last few months I think we're getting to a place where we can actually share our sins a little bit more freely with each other and that's been an encouragement to realize to say I don't have it all together and I know you don't have it all together but we're both interested in following Jesus and I'll hold you accountable, you hold me accountable, let's encourage each other and let's go there as opposed to both of us hiding behind our masks of perfection, which aren't true, and then neither of us is able to help each other. That's been encouraging. Uh, And it's a struggle. When Jesus was ministering on earth, he did some really miraculous things. He healed the blind. He healed the deaf. And each of these was a window to say, one day, you live in a broken world, but one day these things are going to be perfect again. And we're not there yet, But here's a taste. We living on this side of the cross have those tastes. I can now pray to God without a block. When he looks at me, he sees the holiness of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus, not because of me, but I get a taste of what it means to actually live in communion with God. One day it will be more perfect when I can be in heaven and we can walk maybe hand-in-hand on the streets of gold together. Until then, I get a glimpse Right now we have tensions with each other at times, but we get a glimpse every once in a while to say, yeah, that's true harmony, that's peace. And one day it'll be perfect. So first reminder is just to even own our sins. The second reminder is we are, remember we are all broken people living in a broken world. And the third reminder is we have hope. One day our world will be better. I've tried to remind myself, I'm not good at it, but I try to remind myself that with every piece of bad news I get, a family member who's sick, my mother who passed away, uh, my own shortcomings as a friend or as a person, and every time one of these bad things happen, I try to remind myself it's just a reminder that one day it won't be like this. The fall is real. The fall is something that isn't just Adam and Eve, it is us. And this is where our story intersects with God's story. And as we talk about what we believe as a church, it ultimately crescendos in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are sinners, but because of Jesus' work on the cross, I can have forgiveness for those sins. That's what our story is about as individuals. That's what this is about. Um, And what we as a church want to be known for. Let's pray. Our Father, we are imperfect people, and we sometimes hide behind masks of having it together. Father, you know the truth about us. Lord, you know that we don't have it together, that our own shortcomings are very apparent to ourselves and to others. Father, help us to embrace our sin, not that we celebrate it, but that we can embrace the salvation that comes through Jesus. Father, give us the the grace with each other as we all struggle along in this journey. Help us keep our minds focused, uh, focused on you and the hope that we have. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H bible.org.